I'm Lisa Stone, and you're listening to Parenting Aces. Welcome to Season 10 of the Parenting Aces Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we are thrilled to be part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network now. If you haven't already, check out the other member podcasts by going to tennis.com and clicking on the podcast link at the top of the page, and you can see all the other podcasts that are working together to educate all of us around tennis, whether you are a fan, whether you are a player, a coach, a parent, um, or several of those things all at once. So we're thrilled to be part of that. And now we're kind of well within our season 10. There's still so much craziness going on in the world. We've launched our new website. Hopefully by now, by the time you watch this, everything will be working properly. It's been a bit of a roller coaster ride the past couple of weeks. That said, I am thrilled to have Dr. Anthony Ross joining us for the podcast this week. And I just looked back through the Parenting Aces archives and realized that Anthony wrote an article the very first year that Parenting Aces started back in 2011. It was really funny to go back and see that. But Anthony is joining us from Brisbane and uh, life down under is very different from life here in the States in terms of what's going on with COVID. He was telling me they're basically COVID free there. So um, that's Good news, given that the Australian Open is uh, ramping up as we're recording, qualifying is underway, but the tournament will be starting shortly after you watch this podcast. So if you're listening to the podcast on one of your favorite podcast apps and you'd like to see the video version, come on over to ParentingAces.com or to our YouTube channel and you can watch Anthony and me in action over there. So without further ado, let me bring Anthony on. And Anthony, welcome. It's so nice to see you again. And yeah, it's crazy that uh, you were one of our first guest posts. <laughs> That's right, Lisa. I do remember writing that article, actually. What was it? What was the was on uh, like resilience development, I think? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, well, yeah, back in 2011. My yeah. Lord, 10 years I- ago. I know, right? Crazy, crazy. But this week, we're going to be talking about developing mental toughness and where the parents kind of fall into this whole process of helping junior players become mentally tough, become better competitors, and how the parents and the coaches and the players can all work together to create a well-rounded player that knows how to compete, knows how to maintain their cool on the court and, um, you know, knows how to walk off the court feeling good about putting an effort out there. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very important topic. Yeah. So why don't you give our listeners slash viewers a little bit of background on your life in tennis? I know you came up through the juniors and played collegiate tennis here in California at Pepperdine and uh, talk us through it. Yeah. So I, well, I grew up in, in Outback Australia, actually in a, a very small town. Um, I actually started playing like hitting balls against the wall at one end of my family home. Like there was no coach or anything where I lived and um, started to, yeah, enjoy it that way. And then a coach came into town. I yeah, got more into it, uh, was playing more and more. And eventually I started sort of uh, actually a, a, 
a coach by the name of Gary Stickler, who was Pat Rafter's coach, set up mm. this program where they could bring kids from the country into the city and play tournaments and stuff. Um, so I started doing that. Now, eventually, my family moved to Brisbane when I was about 14. So I just continually played more and more throughout throughout the juniors. Um, yeah, and loved it. Um, and then ended up becoming yeah good enough to to uh, go to Pepperdine and then yeah played played at Pepperdine. Amazing experience. Just college tennis <laughs> yeah me, it was just the best experience ever um yeah awesome awesome competing fun um uh, yeah great lifelong friends and uh so yeah played college tennis did did uh did pretty well um and uh i ended up playing doubles on the tour for about three years after college um yeah so got to travel the world after that and had a great experience doing that so uh, that sort of led me into coaching uh, when I finished playing, I sort of when I was stopping playing, I, I realized I I got to about 130 in the world in doubles, but wasn't making a living, just yeah. just, just scrapping by. And uh, so I started coaching a couple of players while I was still playing, um, and and really enjoyed that, but but found it very challenging. I thought, um, yeah, I, I guess I thought the transition into coaching would be a bit easier given my my history mm. and and particularly the mental parts of the game I found the most challenging with the players I was working with so that sort of started me um sort of made me recognize that for me at least it was really important to to if I wanted to be a coach to to learn more about that um the, that element of the game and helping other players uh so yeah so then that that actually led me into I I had done when I was playing. I'd worked with Michael Fox, who's a sports psychologist in Australia. Alan Fox's brother, um, great great psych over here, and uh, so I ended up going back doing some work for him and and finishing uh, doing my masters and eventually becoming a psychologist myself. So yeah, that's a sort of a, a short uh, yeah reflection on my my journey to becoming a, a sports psych. Yeah. What kind of led you to this idea of working with parents to help parents do a better job? Yeah, so when I early on in my my site career, I got Tennis Australia was setting up the National Academy system, and I became the National Academy psych in Brisbane, um, which was a major uh, you know major academy with a lot of good juniors and um, at the time. So that would have been maybe two thousand and seven, I'm guessing. Um, and pretty quickly I, in watching, you know, what was going on within the academy, you know, the coaches working with the players, I had a lot to do with the parents. I was really lucky because they were setting it up. I, I got, uh, my gig was a lot, like I was spending probably eight hours a week with the, with the academy and then also traveling to tournaments. So getting to know parents and really getting a, a deep inside view, which is an amazing experience, um, at that part of my career. Pretty quickly, I, I came to the conclusion that parents were the most influential um, factor, the most individual influential factor in, in mental toughness outcomes and how players tended to come to sort of perceive the game and, and a lot of like competitive tendencies, how they responded in competition. It was just a, I just, yeah, started forming that view, I guess, that, that the parents were having a huge influence and, in my opinion, more, more influential than coaches. So I started thinking about that, and then that's that. Then led me to um, I be, I became a big proponent for you know parent more parent support with the Tennis Australia system, mm-hmm. um, and I I had a lot of autonomy in my role because I was just setting it up, 
And so, and I had a really great support within the coaches and the, and the program in Tennis Australia. So I uh, started, I decided, okay, I want to put together parent workshops and start supporting the parents as best we can. Um, and, and so I, I, I started doing my own research and setting up these workshops. Um, it, it, we will, uh, so I'm thinking back to it now, and we'll talk about it later, but Rob Barty and um, uh, Rob Barty, Ash Barty's father was mm-hmm. like part of that uh, and Josie Barty, his wife, were part of the, my initial workshops. Wow. Um, That's yeah, the cool. Very, very first workshops I did, yeah, they, they, were, they were part of that. And then, and then I, I just became more and more, uh, my belief grew basically in the importance of parents. And so I ended up doing my master's thesis on developing mental toughness. And I, I, I um, interviewed for six months. I interviewed like my basic approach to it was I wanted to try to learn more about what separated players who became mentally tough versus players who perhaps didn't underachieve throughout their career or even gave up early. And so I took that approach and I interviewed parents, like coaches, players. I had amazing access to, you know, like Grand Slam winners, coaches of Grand Slam winners. But also I was really lucky in I got to talk to like a lot of players who might have stopped playing early or really underachieved due to Mm -hmm. lack of toughness and their parents and and coaches. Um, So that was a great uh, project that was took like a year and the, the, the number one outcome from that was, once again, supported the same ideas. It was that the parents were the number one influencer in mental toughness outcomes. Um, and it just continued to grow. So as I was doing my sports psych stuff, I ended up doing, I got a scholarship to do my PhD in collaboration with Tennis Australia. And so we decided to do, it was like a three-year project. And the idea being, how, do, how can we put together um, more better support basically for parents mm-hmm. through, through the process. So that was a three-year PhD where I ended up um, uh, developing a workshop series, like a more extensive workshop series, which I did with a lot of um, Tennis Australia parents. So, yeah. So this whole notion of developing mental toughness because, you know, there are a lot of parents that say, my kid is just, you know, beyond help. <laughs> They're they're a mess on the court. They get so stressed out. They have stomach aches before they go play matches and they lose their temper. And, you know, we've tried everything and nothing helps. You beg to differ. There are ways to help. Can you talk to us about what the steps are in developing mental toughness in young players and how kind of the approach might shift as the kids start at let's say age six, seven, eight versus when they're in their early teen years versus when they're in their later teen years and moving into college and professional life. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would start with saying that in, in the huge majority of cases, it is definitely possible to improve mental toughness in, in some and I would, like a small percentage, the, the difficulties players have are so extreme, they're so uh, ingrained, the habits are serving the purpose of reducing, say, fear at a, at a level where it does really become difficult to make progress. But is, that's only a small percentage. Mm-hmm. In, in a large percentage of players, it is definitely possible to improve mental toughness. Um, and the key, in, in terms of different age groups, Personally, my approach in terms of the way I go about it and work with players is very similar, regardless of the age groups. 
the different challenges in different age groups, I guess, are a younger age. Obviously, they lack the maturity and the, the brain development and so forth. So from that perspective, it can become, uh, it, that can be the challenge. But the benefit of being a, a young age is that the, the habits are less ingrained. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's sort of like a, age is, in my opinion, a double-edged sword where you, you have the benefits of maturity and brain development that can support changes, but also as, as players age, they, their habits are getting more ingrained. Their brains actually, you know, once they reach adolescence, the brain actually stops being so open to change and, it, mm-hmm. and the, 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 the neurons are, are setting pathways of past experiences. So from that perspective, it becomes more difficult. So it's, it's, uh, that, that's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. But the basic, uh, I think the most important starting point for trying to develop mental toughness is always getting a clear understanding of what's actually happening. Like what, what, what is, if a kid's acting angrily, for example, on the court, so if a kid's acting angrily, the, that can be caused by different things. So, for mm. example, it, it, a kid, it, the most basic uh, example in that situation is the kid misses a ball. They're really competitive. They really want to win. They hate losing. So they're feeling strong emotions uh, and they've got to drive to win. They're really driven. They miss, they miss more balls than they want. They naturally feel frustrated and therefore they, act, they get caught in that feeling and they act frustrated. So that's mm-hmm. a basic example. But uh, where it can get more complex is that, is that off anger also serves to reduce stress and fear and anxiety. So in other cases, uh, perhaps a habit of acting really angrily on the court, if you think about how this might play out, is, is once again, a kid's really competitive. They want to win. They're feeling nerves and fear about losing and it hurts to lose. And so when they're playing one day, they, um, they, they, they're playing a match and they're up 4-2 and they lose that game and, they, they, and suddenly like a thought pops up and they think about the possibility of losing that match and they feel nervous and fear about that, which is completely normal. And they might look forward to now they're learning that pa- it's painful to lose as well. And so therefore, these having fear and having the pain of losing is difficult to have. And so, and maybe on the next shot, or the next point, they miss an easy ball and they feel frustration. And suddenly that feeling of frustration actually reduces the fear of losing. And, the, the, and, and in that moment, their brain starts to learn that, that, oh, okay, when I act angrily, I feel less fear. Mm. I don't feel as anxious. And then what can happen over time is that anger can start to serve the purpose of reducing fear of failure and stress and so forth. And so... In that case, that's different than it just straight being frustration. Sure. Um, Can I so interrupt that, you one second? Yeah. Um, one of the the difficulties of junior tennis, in particular, and you know this carries over into the later stages of the game too, but particularly for young players, is all the rules around behavior on the court. Right? You can't hit your racket on the ground. You can't smack a ball at the fence. You can't yell obscenities you you know there there are all these very strict rules around expressing frustration and anger and fear and anxiety that force players to hold it in and some players can do that and function quite well 
Others, I will tell you from personal experience, are not so great at that yeah. and, you know, wind up getting code violations all the time. Um, and it's just part and parcel of the sport, right? But it's it's an incredibly huge challenge for a lot of young players. Yes, <laughs> I would agree with that. Yeah. So, um uh, yeah, and, and ultimately, like with that one specifically, uh, in terms of the way I would I approach it is, um, is uh, once we, as I was talking about with the understanding, like once we have this understanding, then usually the next key thing is start to developing awareness of when it's happening. Like uh, mm-hmm. if you can start the next step is start to get players to have a more, uh, a, a quick awareness of, okay, yeah, when I missed the shot, I started to feel frustrated or I thought of, the possibility of losing or I thought of what mum and dad might say at the end of the match or whatever whatever it is mm-hmm. um, and then uh, you want to once you've developed more more awareness the goal in my opinion is to start to develop a, an increased uh, capacity to tolerate those difficult thoughts and feelings and having choice in how they respond to those thoughts and feelings so um, ultimately um, uh, yeah, the idea of, say, expressing anger, for example, there, there's another way to think about it besides, say, holding it in. And, and it's, it's, it's really like a mindfulness type of approach where the goal is in those circumstances, like if we can help young players to develop more awareness of their internal experiences, of the feelings of frustration, what's that feel like in their body, the sensations, the difficult thoughts that show up, um, the worries about losing, all the, all the difficult uh, thoughts and feelings that show up, developing awareness and and then the goal, making the goal then to develop their capacity to have those internal experiences uh, by developing mindfulness and acceptance um, techniques, then rather than say holding in the frustration, they can come to over time start to experience the difficult thoughts and feelings and, and have them uh, without having without acting on them or without having to do something to express them or get rid of them have them but then to make better choices in how they respond to those internal experiences mm-hmm. and so that in my the, my approach I, I my approach is really uh, originated in what the therapy is acceptance and commitment therapy it started as a clinical therapy and then it's now you know widely used in performance and sports and yeah, with this approach, the goal is really to help players develop awareness and acceptance of internal experiences and increase their choice in how they respond to them. Uh, rather than like traditional sports psych, uh, in traditional sports psych techniques, one variation or one real difference is would be, you know, when I feel nervous or when I feel frustration or when I have outcome thoughts, mm-hmm. uh, the goal is to control them or get rid of them, right? And in mm-hmm. this approach, the, we, we basically take the... Uh, perspective that that's it's not gonna that's not gonna happen for, for the huge majority and and so and so uh, a more realistic approach is to instead say you know what players are going to have all these difficult thoughts and feelings showing up they're not going to be able to control them in the moment how can we help them respond better to them when they're there mm-hmm. um, so. and it's it's a challenge too because we want our kids to hate losing, right? I mean, that's that's what makes them better competitors. It's, I mean, we we all read this, you know. It's it's not 
the joy of winning that's so important. It's it's the hatred of losing that really drives you to continue to work hard and get back out there. And, you know, that that, you know, disdain for losing, performing poorly, whatever, oftentimes produces these negative thoughts and feelings. And, you know, I from my perspective, I view it as passion, right? But if you're a tennis official at a junior event, um, you're not looking at it as passion. You're looking at it as inappropriate behavior on a tennis court. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're right. Like the, when it comes to motivation and the, the drive to win and the hatred of losing, like the more competitive the kid, I to me, that's another double-edged sword. Like you, right. you do need it because that's what creates the motivation and the drive. Um, but then the difficulty with the more competitive kids are, the more strongly they feel the emotions that come with that. Um, and so the, the, the perfect, if you're looking at, okay, how do we develop, you know, the, the best competitors overall, the foundation is having a really competitive kid. Like without that basic, um, you know, natural inclination, then they're not going to become as good as someone who is really competitive to start with and then over time develop skills in responding well to the difficult internal experiences that come with competition. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the things that you have the young players do to develop these skills? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, my basic method, I call it the PACT method. So there's really four like if we look at what stops players competing well and, and the skills required to be mentally tough, I would argue that there is really only four basic um, challenges and skills required. And so, um, I mean, the first challenge is what we just talked about, motivation, right? So if we look at a player's not competing well, maybe they're lacking motivation. And so, uh, and so the things with to help players with that, obviously it, it, does have challenges around if they're not naturally motivated but but to help them develop motivation the p for me is purpose connect them with their purpose of what where are they trying to go so you sort of goal setting and why is it important for them to do actions that that are helpful so that's the that's the first part of it the a is what attentional control so our mind the challenge is our mind naturally wanders right it gets distracted continually and so it's the skill development that helps players is just a really basic training and practice of noticing when we get distracted by things not to do with the match typically, like our minds wandering onto what, what, what are we going to do later or, you know, other stuff, getting distracted by other courts and noticing when this happens and then continually practice shifting back and, and trying to be in the present and so forth. So that's the skill there is attentional strength. I would call it. And that's a good basic practice that that, mm-hmm. that would typically be helpful. The C is committed action. So, you know, a very, um, uh, a no-brainer is that 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 the challenge is, is that if players aren't clear on the actions or the processes that are going to increase the chance of success or increase their, their improvement, then that's a problem. That's going to, um, uh, you know, yeah. stop them in that case. And the, so what we want to do is, is help, players get clear and super committed to the actions and processes that are going to increase the chance of success. So that's the the third um, section. And then the fourth one is sort of what we've been talking about. So the fourth challenge is really that 
when players experience difficult, in, unintentional in thoughts and feelings when they compete, our natural tendency is to get caught up in them and act based on them. So that's really the, the, the first part of the challenge. The second part of this challenge in responding to difficult thoughts and feelings is that, like we mentioned with that anger example of reducing fear, what can often happen is, is when I'm feeling nervous, it doesn't feel good. And so my brain is always in the background sort of sneakily looking for ways to reduce difficult thoughts and feelings, but often that occurs in unhelpful ways. So, so around the fear of failure, uh, habits like easily develop around, uh, for example, acting angrily or a really common one is not trying as hard, right? Mm-hmm. So when a player doesn't try as hard, that actually serves to reduce the fear of failure. And, and so... Um, and so ultimately, like for me, the most important skill of all to try to develop is this idea of, of uh, I call it emotional fitness. So rather than emotional control, emotional fitness is the idea is that uh, we're trying to help players be able to develop their awareness and acceptance of the difficult internal experiences and increase their skill in being able to choose actions in response to those experiences. Um, and that, 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 that for me is a huge one. I think it's generally done very, very poorly um, in the, in the, you know, by uh, parents, coaches, psychology in general, you know, as a field, I think is still way behind in the idea of um, you, you, you might think of it like, you know, a, a good analogy to sort of help parents wrap their head around this is like in physical fitness development. So if we're, if, if a player is doing physical fitness training to get fitter, they've obviously got to do running, for example. And mm-hmm. as they run faster for longer, they start to feel physical discomfort. And so they get fitter by doing the running, but they also start to develop tolerance and the ability to respond better to physical discomfort. So they can keep running while they're feeling the, the physical discomfort. And we would never, ever, you know, tell a player to when they start feeling physical discomfort to try to control it because they would have to stop running to, to right. do that, right? right. And, in, and in psych, like if you think about emotional discomforts, the, you know, the approach of controlling it, you know, often ends up, it's, it's very hard to do, but it ends up increasing the chance players will develop these habits that actually don't help in the long term. And the more we can approach uh, mental fitness and emotional emotional fitness with the idea of it's similar to physical training like when they start feeling anxiety or frustration they feel the sensations in their body to me the 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 most helpful approach there is not to say okay let's do something to reduce those feelings it's how do we work with this player in a way that helps them to develop fitness in being able to tolerate those difficult feelings Mm -hmm. still choose helpful actions while they have those experiences um while they're experiencing those things because in tennis it's like if in reality like if you talk to players and their experience during matches i mean they're frequently just getting difficult thoughts and feelings showing up and then and they're not going to stop thinking about the outcome they're not going to stop getting nervous and frustrated and so forth and this goes for the pros as well like it's the same same deal so uh, yeah, so that, that's a super important message around developing mental fitness effectively for parents and coaches, just norm, the normalization of the difficult experiences and the goal to become fit and being able to respond to them is, for me, is a key help uh, in the huge majority of, of, of cases. 
I love the notion of developing tolerance for the bad feelings, right? That this is just part and parcel of being a competitive athlete. You're going to experience these thoughts and feelings and frustrations. So what we have to do is figure out how to help you tolerate the fact that you're going through that, not freak out by it and not lose your, you know what, um, because you're so riled up, but rather build that tolerance and learn how to manage it because it's not going away. That I mean, that's what I'm hearing you say is it's not that we're trying to get rid of the fear, get rid of the anxiety, but rather to develop a tolerance for it. Exactly. I mean, in the perfect world, we would, right? <laughs> like, sure. If I could get, if I if I could successfully help players control and reduce difficult thoughts and feelings as they show up in a helpful way, I would do it. But I personally have not found that very helpful. I tried it when I first became a site because that's what I was told to do. It was sort of, but, yeah. Um, yeah, and and around that, like the normalization of it is like even as you discuss it, I think about not only are like competitive kids, they're, they're not only going to feel uh, an average level of difficult thoughts and feelings like we've discussed. The more competitive the kid is, the more they're putting into their tennis, the more the family's putting into the tennis, the more of that they're going to feel. Like, um, you know, the more they commit to it, the more they're going to care. And the more they care, the more of the, of these things are going to be part of the experience. Um, yeah, and, and even um, like around the um, like the wording in terms of uh, communicating like this sort of approach, it would be, you know, the goal is not even to, to, to manage the internal experiences as such. It's to, uh, it, it's the goal is to learn to respond better to these internal experiences as they are, as they show up, you know, mm-hmm. in the moment. Um, I just, I keep thinking about this kind of joke in my husband's family, his older brother, whenever things would get out of control, his other older brother would just yell, relax, really loud. <laughs> like, like that's going to fix it. And I feel like that's what happens a lot of times with coaches, with parents. And I suspect with psychologists too, saying to the player, relax, oftentimes has the complete opposite effect. It makes them even more stressed out. And, um, you know, it's just not helpful. So finding a different language to discuss this and and manage it, I think, uh, is really important. And it sounds like that's exactly the work you're doing is, is trying to kind of develop a new vocabulary around developing mental toughness. Yeah, I mean, it, some of the elements are exactly the same, right? Like developing purpose, attentional strength, you know, committing to helpful actions. That, that's all pretty standard stuff. I think yeah. the one variation is is how do we go about in this approach? Is how do we go about responding to the 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 difficult, uh, unintentional thoughts and feelings that um, yeah that show up? And that's the and that's such a huge part of it because once you know, if we really look at players as they compete. What what typically happens a huge part of the time is pretty quickly they start getting caught up in the 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 nerves of the frustration and whatnot, and then you know once that process is playing out it doesn't it doesn't matter how good their strategy is it doesn't matter how good their skills are because they cannot apply those so it's such an important piece because for so many players is 
when they're not skilled to respond to their internal experiences, the other stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how good they are in all the other elements. Um, and so that it's, yeah, it's just a huge, huge, yeah, really important thing to, to um, make. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a huge, very important piece of the puzzle. You know, you need, you need all elements. I'm a big um, proponent of, you know, like just looking at all the elements of tennis. In reality, I could say the same things about other parts, right? I could sure. have a really mentally tough player who, who has, doesn't have the technical skills and they're no chance, yeah. right? So you've got to sort of, you've got to see that every element from a developmental point of view needs to be addressed and, um, and without any one of them, you're not going to get the benefit from all the work from the other, the other elements. Yeah. So, and typically, I'm, not typically, but more often in my experience, mental fitness is the thing that is, that is lacking. I mean, it, it, these days, like there's so much you know, quality information and education around technical development, physical development, tactical and, and, and strategy. Um, but it, it's just so, so common that, that you know, in a, with very simple uh, mental toughness work, which to be honest, coaches, in my opinion, should be educated a lot more yeah. in doing, doing it um, and learning about how they can be more effective in, in, in working with players in this way and, and parents. Um, it, 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 it's just, it's sometimes, it, it's such a simple, not simple, it's a straightforward process that can be, you know, have huge, huge effects in, mm-hmm. in most cases. Yeah. So you mentioned the parents what is the parent's role in helping their child develop this mental toughness, this management of these thoughts and feelings? And how do parents learn how to do this stuff if you're not a psychologist or if you, you haven't played you know, sports at a high level or done something else that's a high stress? Yeah, I, I think um, when it comes to the parent, when it comes to the parent role, like when we think a, a huge th- influence that, that parents have, like when we go back to the start of our conversation, we think, okay, parents are the most influential uh, factor here. The, uh, the, the thing with parents is they parents have a huge influence on how players come to perceive competition. They, mm. so, so, for example, every player feels fear of failure, okay? Every, fa- every player is going to feel nervous. Every competitive kid is going to feel frustration. But, um, for example, how um, how much a player goes into, uh, as they develop, perceives tennis and competition as a fun challenge versus a threatening personal experience is hugely influenced by parental communications throughout development. And then that will influence how strongly they feel fear or or how painful losing is, and 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 so while any player can develop you know, the difficult mental toughness challenges uh, through competing, they're a player whose parents who, who are not doing a great job of communicating, um, uh, in in my opinion, the you know, ways that can be be helpful. They will they will tend to feel more fear of failure. They will it'll hurt lose hurt more to lose, which makes it more threatening, which then mm. makes it more likely they will develop difficult habits for example so that that's one case so so from in in my mind parents greatest role is uh communicating with kids as they develop in ways that support um 
uh, what I uh, I call like for my PhD, I use the an approach or a theory called um, uh, it is really three ba- formed on basically three core elements of helpful support. Uh, it's called self determination theory, and so they really focus on autonomy, competence, and relatedness as three um, core features. So autonomy autonomy is about choice. Like really, the more as humans, the more we feel choice and 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 um, can explore our own experience within uh, a development, then that's going to be a good motivating uh, uh, thing. The second one, competence, is uh, the more that parents can support players' perceptions of competence in what they're doing and, and their tennis experience, the, the better. And the third one, relatedness, that's really about like um, – the biggest factor there is is in psych terms they call it unconditional positive regard. So it's really, but I in three C's I call it care, and it's basically how can a parent throughout the journey support and communicate unconditional care for the child regardless of the experience. The more they can successfully do that, the more the safer the player the player feels in losing, for example, mm-hmm. um, and the less fear of failure they will tend to, to, to experience, the less the painful losing will be. And that sort of that gives them a good foundation to be able to put it on the line and compete, right? Like if, if the player, the more threatening uh, the, the competing is, is and the more painful it is to lose and the more fear they feel, the more likely they will start to develop stuff to reduce and stay away from that pain and fear, which can mm. often play out in a lot of the... Um, the, the unhelpful competitive habits, I guess. So can you give us maybe examples and maybe extreme examples on either end of the spectrum with the care piece from parents? So for example, a parent who's doing that piece really well, what are some things they would say versus the parent that's needs some coaching? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's one important thing to to recognise too from a like a brain perspective is a lot more than what we say as well. So, I mean, most of the communications that occur occur through like what are called primary emotions, mm-hmm. and so it's it's sort of um, you know, so a parent could actually be saying the right thing, and this goes for coaching, it goes for anything, um, any communication. Like we could be saying the right thing, but it's our own experience will will get transferred to the child through. Um, uh, what are called mirror neurons in our in our brain, and so it's. I, I think the first thing I would say is be aware of more than just what you're saying. It's how you're saying it. It's it's body language. It's nonverbal communication and so forth. But I mean, the the basic message that that a child it, with this sort of approach, um, the goal is for them to receive over over time is basically for them to come to the understanding that mum and dad love me exactly the same, regardless of whether of, of how I perform. That would be the, that's the basic goal. So it's sure. not rocket. It's not rocket science. Like, and it's and ultimately, it's it's um, it, the hardest time to do that is when the when everyone's the family's putting a lot of time and effort and energy yeah. into tennis development, and therefore the just based and tennis is a sport. It means the emotions for parents are going to be and the experience is going to be very strong as well, right? And the more right. parents put into it, the more they feel and the more they care about it. And, you know, if little Johnny goes out and loses a match that he should win, then that's naturally going to bring up difficult internal experiences for the parents. And right after the match, it's, it's, 
when those emotions are flowing, then um, it can be a really challenging thing to communicate well, even not, it, look. Even yeah. if you say the right words, you're saying. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and the thing for me is that like, you know, close to all of the parents that I've ever dealt with, I think have unconditional love for their child. That, that's the, the, the challenge in tennis is communicating that successfully, mm-hmm. right, when yeah. they're feeling such strong, difficult emotions. And so that is a super, you know, that, 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 that can be a hard thing to do. So, so, so yeah, in, in successful cases, we're just, we're able to achieve that where ultimately, like, you know, if, if the parent would just go to the kid and said, do you feel like I love you the same, you know, do I communicate the same love for you regardless of whether you win or lose? If, if the kid can truly say yes, then that's awesome. Like, that's a great thing. Um, and, and, and obviously the, the um, you know, any time that parents wait, wait, don't wait. Do them, wait, wait, wait. Do you recommend parents asking their children that question? I, I, actually, I've never said that, what I just said to you, but I think that, <laughs> I think, I don't know. That, but that would be a good I mean, test, why not, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I kind of want to go back and ask my kid that question. Yeah. And, and it's about the feelings. Like, like you just, with the, with the player, like if I'm talking to a player that I'm working with and I ask them the question of how do, how do mum and dad react and how do they make you, how, how do you feel about uh, their reactions after matches and so forth, then... I mean, I know from experience now, the more they tend to report this idea that I feel worse about myself based on mum and dad's experience, uh, communications or mum mm-hmm. and dad uh, seem angry or mum and dad seem upset, um, the mood, often it's like the mood and the sense. Yeah. I remember Agassi talking a lot about that, like with his yeah. dad of how he felt growing up and there was like a, a, I recently had a client who basically stated the same exact thing as I remember Agassi talking about, like the mood of just that it, everyone was down and everyone was feeling worse about stuff. And um, and typically that will come across as mum and dad are disappointed and and not approving of me. And the more that happens, the, the more likely, I, I know from experience, kids will develop these habits of tanking, um, anger explosions, excuses, you know, just basically not being able to put it on the line and compete successfully uh, as uh, with parents as the most important contributor to that, that sort of experience. Acknowledging the fact, of course, that sometimes as the parent, you do feel those things. You do feel disappointed. You do feel, you know, angry maybe that your child didn't seem to be trying their best or that they lost their temper and behaved poorly on the court. Um, and so therein lies the rub, right? Like you are feeling those things and you have to learn how to kind of take a step back and maybe not communicate when those feelings are running rampant. So the one vital clarification there is when I was talking about um the unconditional positive regard, that's based on performance, like how well did they play, which is separate to effort, for example, or behaviour. Behaviour, right. right. So, mm-hmm. so you definitely want to have, yes, yeah, standards and, and set behavioural expectations around how you expect your child to, um, uh, to behave and effort levels and so forth, which is separate to whether they won or lost, you're trying to separate those two things. So, um, Which is tough sometimes because yeah. sometimes they win the match and they acted like a jerk on the court, you know, and 
so you've got to kind of balance that. Or sometimes they lose the match um, and they act like a jerk on the court. And so they perceive your upset at as being directed toward the fact that they lost rather than being directed toward the fact that they behave like a jerk. Yeah. And one, so one goal there I would say is to be very clear when you're communicating about yeah. what you are upset about. And, um, and, and look, I mean, the challenges, I think one important thing for parents to recognize is just that how challenging it is, right? Like that, that in itself, <laughs> yes. I think is a helpful thing. So when, uh, you know, with my PhD, I basically came up with four, in terms of supporting parents helpfully, I think one, one thing that we typically lack is, is, is we just tell parents what to do, right? Yeah. And, and um, there's seriously important mi- uh, missing pieces of the puzzle there. So really, for me, to support parents successfully, you, really, you want to help guide parents on these are the type of communications you're looking to, to have. But there's three, three really important uh, things that typically no one, <laughs> no one does, no national organisations, is, is help parents understand why they're so important, right, from a brain development point of view and that the attachment system is, is in, in, that we're all, once we're born with, it, it means that parent communications are more powerful than anyone else. So that's mm-hmm. a basic understanding of why parents are going to have the biggest influence in shaping um, kids' brain development, so why they're so important. But then this 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 other piece we've just started talking about is is why it's so challenging. Like, um, and the third one, I uh, sorry, the fourth one I would also add to it is um, is is basically skilling. Like, is like in the same way that I work with a player in developing tolerance for the the internal experiences and so forth. In my workshop series that I developed, it was we had a couple of weeks of basically helping parents practice mindfulness skills and awareness and acceptance of internal experiences with the goal of helping them to communicate what they want to do even when they're feeling the difficult stuff. So, mm. um, yeah, so these these other elements are really, in my opinion, super, um, super important. And around the, the, the difficulty of the challenge, it's if parents can understand that, yeah, like when they're watching their kid play, it's their brain is sort of our evolutionary brain is misinterpreting tennis as a life and death situation naturally, <laughs> right? And so, yeah. therefore, they are going to feel incredibly strong, um, a strong emotions. I mentioned mirror neurons before. So, mirror neurons are the, 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 the neurons in our brain that when we watch someone perform an intentional action or when we're, we're watching them and connecting with them and they're feeling something we feel the same stuff through mirror neurons. So it's, it's, um, and so when parents are watching their kid and the, if the kid is feeling really upset, that guarantees that the, the parent is going to actually feel what the kid is feeling. Um, so there's those basics. And then for parents that have a really difficult time, like communicating in the way that they wish they would, it, it's, it's usually really important to reflect back on their own experience as kids and how their parents communicated to them in performance domains and so forth because mm-hmm. when parents or when coaches are watching their players when parents are watching their kids, as they watch the, the kid, it really evokes implicit memories which really trigger memories from our own past similar experiences. So so in the, in, in the circumstance that a parent, when they were a child, 
if their parent did, you know, communicated disapproval around in performance domains when they didn't do well, when that parent comes to watch their child play and their child is not doing as well, that will evoke those difficult senses mm-hmm. of shame perhaps, you know, as they watch. And, and really parents can come to have, like habitually respond to their own sense of shame. It's like part of their own past experience rather than being in the moment and being able to communicate how they want. So overall, like the, you know, the challenge of tennis pairing is immense. <laughs> like it, it, so, so that's well, important. Which is why we exist, right? And I've been here for 10 years. There's, yeah. there's always more to learn. Yeah. So it, yeah. it's, and so from that, that, um, I mean, I mean, that is a huge passion of mine. Like even that, that idea of how, particularly when parents, it, what I'd say to you, your viewers is if you're a parent who basically not, wants to communicate and, and you sort of, most parents have heard, this is what we, this is what the recommendations are. So if you're a parent who really finds it difficult to communicate in that way, how you wish you could in those circumstances, then, I mean, the reality is often you're going to need to do work on yourself. You're going to need to reflect on your own past experiences and what's actually going on for you. And then, like as I said, like I would do with a player, I mean, in my opinion, it, 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 for parents who have a tough time, particularly um, in those, in, in, when we're faced with the tennis pairing challenges, the work of practicing mindfulness and, and practicing um, responding well to the difficult internal experiences is, is crucial as well. So, which is why you have developed this new project, yeah, this new yeah. workshop series. So, we're going to just segue because we're coming to the end of our hour. It's gone by really quickly. I'm going to just put, um, a link up on the screen. So this is your website and tell us a little bit about your project, Anthony Ross. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So I had, I mean, to be honest, I've been so busy the last couple of years, just working with players and, and, and academies and stuff. Like I really haven't done that much parent stuff in the last few years. And really this has been motivated by, I had a few clients towards the end of last year who uh, it really sort of brought up for me the importance of parents and and doing parent work and so forth. So I started thinking about putting this together. And basically, the 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 idea is throughout the year, it will probably the first one will probably be um, after the Australian Open finishes, so maybe mid to late Feb. Um, I am going to do three workshops throughout the year, and based on my PhD workshop series so just a, a sort of an updated version of 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 what i tend to um uh well what we've discussed today really and and mm-hmm. and what we do with with parents and uh so around you know how parents can be helpful what 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 to do why they are so important you know why the challenges and understanding the challenges and also the skilling of of improving our own skill in this area um and then I'm also being lucky enough to uh, organise Rob Barty, who, who we mentioned earlier. So Rob is uh, Ash's father, super, you know, super guy. And when I mentioned this to him, he's he's like, "Yep, like I definitely want to be um, want to be involved." And so so Rob will come on and and um, and and do a workshop with parents and talk a lot about Ash's experiences. And he said he said to me, he said, "No no questions are going to be off limits." So he's a really open awesome. guy and. Um, so parents will be able to ask, um, Rob, whatever, whatever they want. And then Peter Smith, who, you know, yeah. um, was my college coach and, you know, great guy. I think he's, he's the perfect guy for this 
um, setting because he's been a, obviously in a, you know, a legendary coach but also had three boys come through the, um, yes. the, the junior tennis pathway. So he's um, will be awesome. So he's going he's gonna to do another workshop. So that's five. We're going to do them t- t- every two months basically, so six throughout the year. And then the last one I'm keeping open. So I've talked to a couple of pro players um, who, who would be more than happy to, to be involved. But uh, what, what we'll probably do is put it out to the academies and so forth that are, in, that are part of it just with some options and then they mm-hmm. can decide, you know, what they want the, the sixth one to be. So, yeah, I'm pretty pumped about it because you know, hopefully people can see how passionate and important I think um, it is and I'm glad to be able to sort of dedicate some time again throughout the year to really um, hopefully supporting parents in a in – a, um, you know, my goal is to do more than the usual, you know, this is what you should do. I, I really hopefully throughout the year parents will um, uh, feel empowered, I guess, to actually have more skill and being able to communicate um, in the way that they, they wish more often, um, you know, which is, which is challenging. So It is. And this is the website. So if you are interested in signing up for or getting more information on Anthony's Parenting Healthy Mental Toughness Project, that's a mouthful, um, go to the link and there's all sorts of great information there and signups. And Anthony's offering a discount to Parenting Aces Premium members, which will have that link on our member discounts page on parentingaces.com. But, um, Also, I just want to say that, you know, the goal of having these types of conversations, Anthony, and the reason why the parent education piece is so important, in my opinion, is that we all want to come out the other side of this tennis journey in a good relationship with our children, right? We don't want tennis to pull us apart. We don't want the journey to be so confrontational and so volatile and so angry and frustrating for all parties involved that we come out the other end saying, Oh my God, why did we ever do this? You know, no, the opposite is the case. We want to come out of it feeling very close to our children, feeling like we invested this time in them to help them develop skills and, and, talents and and all sorts of different pieces that are going to help them be better human beings as they enter adulthood. And part of that is understanding the mental toughness side of the game and understanding our role as the parent in helping our children develop that toughness and that skill set. Absolutely agreed. And and yeah, we've talked a lot about the challenges and the the the, the difficulties today, but you know, the other side of the coin is it's Ultimately, the parent uh, role is, is, I would just say it's power. It's, it's, it's uh, I call it the perfect storm of the circumstances that set up, you know, really a, a, a power that has the power to have an incredibly positive experience on, uh, you know, a child's development through tennis. And tennis, mm-hmm. tennis is an incredibly powerful opportunity to, um, uh, you know, ultimately very, very few kids are going to be pros. And so... Um, and the you know the, the many 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 other kids that that um, it, it's it's an opportunity like really rare it is rare to um, yeah and have an incredibly positive experience on exactly what you're saying developing skills and 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 having experiences and memories that are that are hugely fun and and I I don't think there's a better sport for developing the skills that then lead to 
um, uh, the possibility of being very skilled and happy throughout life and, you know, for working life and relationships and all that sort of stuff. So, um, yeah, so that, that, is, that is why it's so important is the, the power that parents have in influencing the kids' experience through the journey of tennis, yeah. Absolutely. Well, Anthony Ross, it has been a pleasure and thank you so much for making time to talk with us and share your new project with us and your expertise in this area. We all can do better, obviously. I mean, I feel like this is one of those things that's kind of a lifelong learning process. We're not just going to sit through a, a project of, of workshops or, you know, a few sessions with uh, a psychologist and all of a sudden be pros at this. It, it is a process. And I think, you know, it's never too late to start and uh, really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about it. Thanks, Lisa, and and yeah, congrats to you on on all you're doing in the space. It's um, definitely you're definitely a world leader in in trying to um, support parents. So yeah, it's awesome. Thank you, and thank you, our listeners, our viewers, for tuning in. And we will catch you next time on Parenting Aces. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, please visit us online at ParentingAces.com. Thanks for tuning in and sharing us with your tennis community.